if you think you can do what you say you can do, then it doesn't really matter if you fake it till you make it. The problem is, is when you say you can do something and then you get the opportunity to do it and you fall flat on your face. You're listening to Music Growth Talks, the podcast for musicpreneurs with Andrew Apanoff. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with a new edition of Music Growth Talks. We've got a rather long episode today, so let me keep the intro brief. My guest today is Aaron Bethune, who has been on the show two times before. Some of the long-time listeners of the podcast may remember that. Be sure to check out episodes 29 and 80 if you haven't yet. I'm also linking to uh, them in the show notes. Uh, these are great chats on their own, and you will also learn more about Aaron from there. He's one of the most fascinating music industry people I know, even short. Um, today's conversation begins with us discussing the scandal around the LA-based quote-unquote fake metal band Fredden. It's uh, very likely that you've heard about the story, but if not, even better in a way, because, uh, you know, there is more you will learn from this show. Uh, we're trying to bring a new perspective to the matter, avoiding the strictly negative talk uh, surrounding uh, the story, if you have read about it online. Then Aaron shows that the fake it till you make it approach has been around in all genres and all, all eras in music uh, business and uh, uh, and he goes on to talk about how musicians are being scammed, uh, including examples from his own career, stories featuring Def Jam Records, presidents of UPS and the secret service agents, some wild stuff on today's Music Growth Talk, so listen on. And um, just to ensure our message is not misinterpreted. Uh, we are not telling you that buying fake fans, streams, views or anything fake is good and um, if you are still not clear about the message after listening to this episode in full or just if you have any questions, please, please leave your feedback and ask questions. The best way is to uh, tweet Aaron uh, or leave a comment on Facebook or Instagram, of course. Uh, on our platforms as well, but uh, it will be great if you just, uh, you know, go to uh, Aaron's social media platform of your choice and uh, and and let him know what you think uh, or ask questions if you have any right there. Now, just one brief announcement while I have you. I, I, I know that I promised to keep the intro brief. Uh, the, the show, the Music Growth Talks podcast is finally on Spotify, so subscribe there if uh, it's where you listen to your podcast, you know. Um, so yeah, thank you, and here we go. Aaron, welcome back to Music Growth Talks. I'm excited to have you on the show once again. Andrew, I'm always excited to be on your show. We had this conversation with you some time ago via email about the piece that you put up on your Medium blog. And this will, this started this conversation that we had and it's it led to, to this episode essentially. So I just, just want to tease a little bit. But before we get to that point, is there anything happening in your world right now, in a professional world that you can reveal with us or want to reveal with us or can? Well, I think, you know, probably as we've talked about before, a lot of the things that I'm involved in are 
based in the music business, or better said, based in music strategy, but applying it outside of the music business. And, and that seems to have ended up resulting in me working with government agencies and companies that see value in building audiences organically, branding, and essentially finding a, a home and a place for music in projects that are, again, not directly related to the music industry. So that's involving sports agencies and government agencies and companies and that sort of thing. So there's some projects I'm, I'm currently working on, which I'm sure next time we speak, assuming there'll be another next time, I can get into more detail with. But you know, at the same time, I'm hoping that there's some opportunities to talk about these projects, not so much about the details of the projects, but more as a possible inspiration to people that are looking to pursue music careers and music revenue in non-traditional ways and, and just, you know, empower people to realize that, you know, there's huge value in creating music and building fans, well, building audiences and how it can be applied, how they can find in some ways the true value, which sometimes I think is not always represented within traditional music industry where people aren't quite making enough money or getting enough recognition. Yeah, I can hear you well here. And uh, this is something that we've been talking about so much and looking for inspiration in other industries. The fact that you stay true to music in many ways, despite working with some other industries, great. I really appreciate that. And uh, I can see how, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Looking forward to learning more about that on next episode with you for sure. Definitely would like to record something else, maybe even later this year. Let's keep in touch. And we might even, you know, get to today's topic pretty much straight away. <laughs> it's, it's a rare occasion where we have a, a very, very specific theme to talk about because usually we just mm -hmm. talk about everything we've guessed and then we're trying to figure out which area is, which topic is the most interesting at this point of time. And here we have uh, one specific theme at the same time. It's such a big one that we may end up talking about different aspects of the topic. How would you present the topic to our audience yourself? Well, I think it was a an article that emerged I can't remember which was the first publication to put it out, but it was in regards to the band Threaten and their European tour that was a failure in the sense of there was really no one at the shows to see them play, but a success in the sense that they, you know, they made those shows happen. But more importantly, how they made it happen and why perhaps it was a failure. And I just found it, it was a topic that, that kind of caught fire online and there's a lot of you know, people's responses to it were highly negative. And I think if I'm right, I read this article and I sent it to you saying, hey, what's your opinion of this? Because it was just, it was something that I, you know, I felt at least motivated enough to write about because I didn't think it was quite justified how negative people were talking about the actions of this particular artist. And I just, you know, I, I feel strongly that there's more of this than people say talk about. And that is, you know, the idea of fake fans, not even fake fans, it's almost like the extreme of faking it till you make it. And that was how it started and how I reached out to you. I think for the context, we want to mention that those who haven't heard about this story, there is uh, 
more information about it online. I'm linking to different articles in the show notes, so it's really easy to read more about it. I'm pretty confident that a lot of our listeners have heard about it. It was a big thing story at the end of last year, and I don't think we want to just go over the details of uh, how it's what exactly happened and try to understand what was what actually happened, what didn't happen. The core of the story is there, and we have the right to, to believe that it, it's true because the actual you know shows and promoters reporting, and then actually an update from the guy behind the band. So we are linking to all of this stuff, and let's I guess indeed talk more about the bigger picture here. Well, I think the thing to say here too is is that independently of whether what is written is factual, partially factual, or made up entirely. It's a story that I think is quite representative of how a lot of people are pursuing their music strategies, how they're trying to build their fan base and their brand. I think to just very briefly give a little bit of information, ultimately, this band out of LA went to Europe, went, performed at a bunch of venues, and more or less nobody showed up. And so when no one was showing up, the venue owners, concert promoters, started looking into it and caught on to the fact that, according to what is out there, that this band Threaten had actually not only bought fake fans on the different social platforms to suggest that their audience was greater than it was, but they'd also created their own record label, publicity company, a management company. They had given themselves their own award through some of these companies that they'd, so to speak, invented. And they basically leveraged what appeared to be a more established artist and developed brand than was actually the case. So when they showed up in Europe to commence their world tour, it just didn't go so well. Because again, you know, if you buy a bunch of fake fans in Brazil and want to go play in, in England, you know, that's not going to go so well for you. So that's the premises, I think, of, of this podcast and what people can find out more information on. It's really complex here. It's not just about how bands do it, but how promoters work, for example, because all those promoters who booked the gigs, they apparently didn't do their homework to check if all this information was real or not. So there is a lot of interesting aspects to it. There really is. And I think is that, you know, there's a lot of talk about Threaten's part in this, but it's funny because... They also had opening acts. And so in my mind, you know, if you're a headlining act and you go to a venue with an opening act, generally speaking, you're looking for an opening act that has a draw, that has, you know, got the ability to get a crowd going and that, you know, will hopefully bring out their own audience. And so when you hear that there was five people in the audience, it actually says something about the opening acts as well. So, you know, at all levels of this, there's a lot I think that can be learned and that's quite insightful in regards to how people make decisions and how the music industry in many ways works. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but it gets to a bit of an extreme, this like Instagram version of our lives applied to the <laughs> music industry can go really wrong, but it's happening at just different scale all the time. One of the points on your article, I don't know if it's what you want to comment on right away, but I found it really insightful that you commented 
it's nothing new really in the music industry to make things up at least a bit. Well, not in the same way, but it's definitely not not the first occurrence of of something along the lines happening. So, what's the is and is it special to music industry to start with? Well, I think the thing for me was is when I was reading, you know, what was being put out by the different media. You know, what went through my mind is it just didn't make sense that people were being as negative about it as they were, considering that I think you can probably find a story in every genre of any era of which there has been an element of faking it till you make it or, you know, a little bit of smoke and mirrors. I think in the article I had had mentioned a even an Elvis story, which I had the opportunity to work with one of Elvis's guys last year. And, you know, he was known to have always had sold out shows. And so I won't go into too many details, but there was a particular promoter that put Elvis on the road who, you know, it was actually the first time that Elvis was performing in these almost like arenas. And one of the conditions was that the events had to be sold out. And so there was a particular show, I think it was in Miami, and it was sold out. And so, you know, they said, hey, why don't we do, why don't we tag on an extra show? And so they did that. And the promoter ahead of time, you know, called in, I think a few days prior to see how ticket sales were going. They said, well, you know, it's we've only got 5,000 sold and it was a 10,000 seat venue. So of course there's a problem. So the promoter contacted Elvis's people, the Colonel, and said, look, we've got a problem. We've only got 5,000 tickets sold for 10,000 seat venue for this, you know, extra show in Miami. And his response to the promoter was, we don't have a problem. You have a problem. So the promoter went to Miami trying to figure out what the heck he was going to do. And he steps outside the venue and across the street was a prison. And so what ended up happening was, is that he had some inmates come over. They removed 5,000 seats. They put them in the parking lot in the back, covered them up. And then, you know, sure enough, the concert was sold out. And at nighttime, they then put the seats back in again. And then for the night show, the evening show, it was sold out with the 10,000. And Elvis's comment was, it was really good, but the nighttime show was so much more animated. <sighs> and of course, there was twice as many people. Now, again, this isn't necessarily, you know, an exact example of Threaten's case, but even, you know, with Taylor Swift, I mean, my understanding from some very direct sources is that, you know, early on, on MySpace, they were adding fan accounts and making fan comments and this kind of thing. And you know, no one's going to doubt where Taylor Swift's today. I mean, you know, she's one of the biggest artists in the world. But again, all these people, you know, there's a starting point. And in fact, I tell any of my clients, anybody really, I say, look, if you think you can do what you say you can do, then it doesn't really matter if you fake it till you make it. The problem is, is when you say you can do something and then you get the opportunity to do it and you fall flat on your face. So if you know that you can't do what you're saying, don't say it. But if you know that what you're saying you can do, yeah. then in some ways you've got to do whatever it takes to get the opportunity to show the world you can. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean that you can say, I'm going to go play some show in London and pack the place if you really can't. You know, I mean, that might apply to saying, hey, you know, put me on a stage, I'll blow you away and get the opportunity to get up on stage and blow people away. That's a different thing. But at the end of the day, you know, there's just many, many instances of people faking it till they make. And I think in Threaten's case, 
you know, some people may even say it was, you know, ingenious what he put together to pull this off. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, it's taking advantage of people. It's not being truthful. You know, I think in my article, I said, you know, maybe he went too far, or maybe he didn't go far enough. I mean, maybe, you know, the thing to do is, my understanding is he actually, he was paying the venues. He paid for all the musicians to be there. He paid for everyone's flights. In fact, there's a video of the bass player thanking Threaten for the experience that he was given of going to Europe that he probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And, you know, in some ways, it's sort of like, well, could he have gone any further? You know, could he have, you know, put things together, you know, opportunities for fans, door prizes? Could he have, you know, given tickets away, paid for a certain amount of ticket sales to show real sales? You know, I mean, things like Polestar. I mean, there's a lot of areas that are, you know, there's a lot of, well, in the case of magazines and ratings and reviews and charts and all the rest of it are based of, you know, numbers, hence why back in the day, and who knows if it was just back in the day, you know, record labels would purchase their own records to be able to get, you know, platinum sales. So I hear that you're going to jump in. No, no the, here I just wanted to, to add to your ideas. You know the music industry so much better than the guy running the frightened bands. I think he wanted to enter the music business with a band and become famous and things like that. His knowledge was sort of limited. I think he could go far if he knew more about maybe how the yeah how how the life scene operates better. What's funny because to me it's the classic example of what I think you know at least I see a lot of which is and there's you know I've got my own personal stories that I can relate to this exact same I guess you could say problem which is you start to focus on what you believe is your goal. But what you don't realize is the goal that you've set is only halfway. It's only half of the goal. In other words, in this case, the goal might have been to go and tour the world, but that's not actually the goal. The goal would be to tour the world to a lot, you know, live audience that are there to see that particular band and that love that music and ideally build some fans along the way. And I think that that's the thing. You know, it's like it's like when people launch their records. You know, when people independently release their albums, the big thing is we're going to go make this record, we're going to the studio, we're recording this thing, and then we're going to release it. And that's it. There's no follow through. There's no plan as to how from the day it's released, you know, how that's going to turn into whether it's chart success or touring. It's just this idea that once they get it out there, once the album drops, yeah. you know, it's going to mean that suddenly... There's, you know, people waiting for it and it's going to turn into phone calls with deals and all kinds of stuff. And that's, I mean, you know, martial arts, you know, I haven't personally done martial arts for many years, but, you know, I know when I was growing up, I did a lot of them. And a reoccurring theme was, is that if, you know, if you hit a target, you don't just hit the target, you hit through the target. And, you know, that's, I think, an important thing to consider is, is that you don't just, I mean, one of my stories that I wrote about was climbing a mountain. And it struck me, you know, very close to the summit that I had not spent one single second training to come back down. The only thing I had been training for was to get to the top. And it was just this really strange, you know, realization that I had never given consideration that the real goal would be to go up and down, like to go there and back. And I think that that's, you know, in Threaten's case, you know, no matter what, he had put together this sort of, I guess, masterful slash devious plan but 
I don't think there was much consideration of what would happen once they got to the venue because I don't think it would take much for someone to recognize that all of the fakeness, all of the fake fans, once you get to that stage, isn't going to materialize into real fans. Just as I don't think there was much research done necessarily even into the opening bands. And to be honest with you, I would guarantee that those opening bands were also faking it till they made it. I bet you anything that if there was any conversation with those bands, they probably said they could bring out more people than they themselves knew they could, hoping that the headlining act would bring out all the fans. So, yeah, no, that's an interesting point, by the way. The follow-up might still come sometime to, in 2019 because apparently the frontman of the band made a statement that it was even a, everything was planned, which most probably isn't exactly the case. But going back to the point that you made earlier, that maybe he didn't go you know all the way till then. Who knows? Maybe he will be able to use it somehow. Well, I think that the hope for him is most likely that you know, this whole story has gained enough media power that maybe it's turned into fans. But again, I mean, I don't know if it really will have, because at the end of the day, the story is about what was done. The story actually has nothing to do with the type of music. So at the end of the day, there's no focus on this story targeting fans of the band. Like, in other words, there's no actual direct actions that are going to turn this, you know, story into fans because it's been a very generic story. It's been a story that's, you know, out there for anybody who's, you know, whether you're in the music business or outside of it, whether you play music or you just listen to music, it's sort of a story. And I think in some ways it's actually more a story that ties into the whole, you know, Trump presidency, fake news thinking, which, you know, at the end of the day, Instagram and other social platforms really are not doing much to create transparency. I mean, because we have, you know, we all have cameras on our phones, we can take, you know, a thousand photos before we decide which one we're going to post. You know, we can add filters, we can do all kinds of things. And at the end of the day, we're surrounding ourselves with things that in many ways aren't real. You know, I mean, it's, I don't think it's doing much for society either, because it's building up this idea that everyone else's life is so great, and that we should try and be more like those people that are so happy or so you know, what a beautiful day, they'd have the greatest meal of their lives, you know, this kind of thing. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, I think that's tying into, you know, bands that are, you know, jumping on that bandwagon, as they say. It's dangerous for artists and musicians, in my opinion, because there is so much pressure to have uh, all these uh, hundreds of thousands of views and so many fans and things like that. And then, then you start promoting your music and, uh, your following is might be growing, might be not growing at all, but it's going up, but really slowly. And it may be discouraging because the expectations are set improperly. It's a big different topic, I guess. I'm not sure if you want to. Although it's related. It's it's kind of related. Well, well I mean, it's, I guess it's all sort of related. I mean, it kind of goes back to, you know, I think we even had this conversation about numbers. I mean, you know, the desperate want of numbers in general, the more numbers of followers that you have, the better you are. And you know, I think that's something that, you know, the, the online world has actually really done in a, you know, well, it's, it's created, I think, negativity because, again, even grant funding. So if you want to go and get money to fund your records, you know, there's the majority of grants that I see, social numbers is hugely important. In fact, there's a you know friend of mine who recently made a, a deal with a record label that 
was for someone who was an Instagram star who actually, you know, initially wasn't trying to get into music. Mm -hmm. But as part of that conversation, they said, oh, and, and she can sing? Great. Let's give her a record deal. And I think that, you know, that's just, you know, that, that plays into all of this, that these numbers are just so misleading. And again, so I, I think, you know, as far as Threaten's concerned, I just, I felt strongly that it seemed more like an opportunity for the media to make something of it than, you know, actual news that really tells the big picture. And the big picture is that, you know, numbers are deceiving. And in fact, even just this past weekend, I, you know, I had some extra time. And as you well know, there's a lot of tools out there that you can analyze other people's websites with. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty amazing when you, you know, you take people that appear to be really, you know, out there and everyone's supposedly knows them. If you run the numbers on their websites and it's like, you know, they're getting under a thousand views a month, that's not really that impressive. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of, I did this a long time ago with Next Big Sound and running some of the, when they first came out and they had more tools available to the general public. Yeah. Um, I ran some numbers on some mainstream artists and it, it really came across like smoke and mirrors. And I'm not saying that, you know, they weren't playing to large audiences and obviously, you know, publicity does a lot as well. But at the end of the day, you know, the numbers were not really matching up. So there's a very confused, I think, you know, ecosystem of people and numbers and data and, you know, so, but I know we're getting a little off topic. No, but I hope that the message is there that it's, uh, well, one of the messages here is that uh, uh, it's quite complicated. I hope that it's clear that even for we never mentioned that, that we are not encouraging our listeners right now to go and buy fake fans and followers and listeners. Uh, I mean, and we are always discouraging all our clients to do so. And I mean, it, it goes without saying that you can ruin your Facebook page by buying a lot of fake fans because then you will end up solving your ads or showing your posts to accounts that don't exist uh, to these fake likes. So there is a lot of disadvantages to that. And I also think that and th- this is your message. This is something that you mentioned earlier that when you come up with an idea of how to fake it till you make it, and we are not even mentioning again that how important it is to be ready for the spotlight if what you came up with goes through that it's really difficult to just replicate what others have done before you and taylor swift uh, probably was one of the first big acts to really utilize myspace as a platform to create this image so it's it's really it's kind of tricky and even for threatening he maybe he was the first one to combine all these fake listeners fans awards tools at such a scale well, I would say he's the, I mean, maybe one of the first to be caught. Well, yeah. I think that there's there's a lot a lot more out there that you know. I mean, again, if he if let, let's be honest, if he had pulled it off, even with just forty percent, you know, of, of the venue being filled, no one would have investigated. Absolutely. Nothing would have been said. And quite honestly, he probably wouldn't. You know, this is actually probably played to his favor as far as people knowing about the band more so than, you know, if he just played these shows. Because again, I mean, that's that's another thing that I encounter with a lot of artists is, you know, they want to do these big tours, but they haven't even toured, you know, regionally. So at the end of the day, even if he had gone out there and he had, he had managed to get, say, 40% of the rooms filled, no one had looked into this, I highly doubt he would have been able to make it feasible to follow up those shows. So, you know, again, 
I agree with you. It's, you know, I'm not advocating for one second that people should go out there and buy fake anything. That being said, there is a certain amount of studies out there that do suggest that once you get to a certain number, whether it's on, you know, if it's on a video, once you reach a certain number of views, there's a psychological thing that happens where people are more likely to share it because they don't feel like they're going to be ridiculed because they're saying, oh, go check out this amazing video that has four views. There's a lot of things that come into play and there's a lot of things that get applied into strategies in which, you know, done properly, you know, you do create a brand that makes sense and that is backed up by certain numbers. But at the end of the day, it's it has to be all based in reality and it has to be with a very strong understanding of what can be achieved. And I think that's where in this case, in Threaten's case, it doesn't seem like it was fully thought out. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying go and buy fans out of you know Brazil. That's definitely not what I'm suggesting. But I do think that there is a number of elements that you know have to work together in order to, you know, I guess you could say speed up the process of brand recognition. And again, that I mean that that could just be a matter of buying Facebook ads. So I was about to mention the simplest way to to achieve that without any faking. Absolutely. And that and that's something that again, it's it's I mean, you have to create an ad that becomes appealing enough for someone to want to click on it because at the end of the day, if someone's never heard of you, there has to be something about that ad that's going to be appealing enough for them to click on it. And so there is, you know, even on that level, you you still have to build something up to be as great as it can possibly be. But that is, you know, a very different situation than, you know, buying fans out of Brazil or or, you know, Malaysia or something. You know, that becomes a matter of understanding Facebook ads and targeting and being able to understand the demographic you're going after. And so, again, I mean, not fake, but I do think that there's a certain level of formula when it comes to ensuring that you've got some numbers. So, again, that that is something you can achieve through Facebook ads. And there is a reality to having a certain amount of numbers of views and likes and all those kind of things that do result in people taking more action to continue viewing, continue liking. But there's ways to do that that are actually targeting your fan base from day one instead of literally building a completely fake fan base yeah 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 exactly and uh to anyone interested in learning more definitely feel free to i guess reach out and uh, there is a facebook ad platform really well known youtube adwords is being developed quite well of and i mean makes more sense for musicians to use to advertise videos on youtube these days than than the past it's like really easy to get into the to fall into the trap of just running too much ads because beyond the point which you mentioned where it makes sense psychologically to reach a particular amount of followers or views, it may just not be that effective if you overdo it. So just keeping it well balanced is important. Thinking about Fred, and I think he should have hired you before doing this whole thing and he would he wouldn't be in the place where he is now. He would, he would just... <laughs> well, you know, if, he, if he'd hired you or if he'd hired, you know, myself or, or any of the people that we know, the fact is there's a strong chance he would never have gone to Europe, which would probably have resulted in him never getting this sort of exposure. I think that, you know, it would be a bit of a slower build per se to getting into the, the public yeah. eye. But, you know, with that being said, I, I know that, you know, before we started this podcast, we started talking a little bit about other elements of fake in the music business. So I'm not sure if, if you want us to get into that. Because, uh, it, it, it was my next question. I think we want to mention that because uh, it's very interesting case here, but many people 
from outside the music world don't know what's happening in some other relationships in the music well, I can, business world. I can tell you there's, um, um, you know, there, there's recently someone who actually posted on my Facebook page and, and it's public for anyone to go and look at because I'm uh, to it in the they, they have publicly written on my page. And in their case, you know, they said, hey, Aaron, uh, we've uh, spent over $13,000 US to work with Capitol Records. Maybe I can be on the podcast. And that to me was like, okay, you paid $13,000 to a record label for what? And then even though I'm recommending to write to me an email, which would then be private, he went on to, to continue commenting on my Facebook page and, and sort of laid out what had gone on. And, you know, as I'm looking at his comments and he's talking about how it started with 1800 and over a year, it built to 13,000 plus US dollars that he paid supposedly to Capitol Records. I mean, to me, it was clear that it was a, a scam. And, and yeah. you know, I, I won't get into all the comments if people want to go check it out, they can. But I mean, it starts involving Taylor Swift, supposedly, and, you know, a number of other people. But what was, what was fascinating to me was that at the end of the day, it reminded me of, oh, even, even it reminded me of myself in some ways, because, you know, I remember when I, uh, when I was in a band many years ago, you know, there was, there was that whole compilation. I don't know if you remember that, you know, they'd have compilations that would come out and it would oh, sort yeah. of be a, a payment. You'd pay for it for the exposure in the sense of, you know, you were sort of helping to cover some of the costs of yeah. the compilation. The idea was, is that that compilation would gain you some exposure. And so, you know, I, I remember getting a lot of people saying, hey, do you want to be on this compilation? And sometimes, you know, it'd be, you know, a lot of the times it'd be really bad music. You'd be like, I know, thank you. And sometimes you'd be like, wow, I'd be honored to be on that compilation. And, and there was a particular, I would, you know, the time we'd be on a few, but there was a particular, uh, there was a particular compilation that had approached us and I was really blown away with the previous one they'd done. Anyways, long story short is I handed over the money and all of a sudden they disappeared. And so I, I actually ended up, I remember trying to contact them numerous times and I, I ended up calling the police, the local police, and found out that this person was actually, you know, wanted for a number of scams. Oh, wow. And in my case, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a ton of money that had been handed over by any means, but you know, they had done such a, I guess, good job at getting me to pay that, you know, I, it made me think about it a little bit and go, why, why was I so eager to pay? And, you know, and I know what it was. It was the previous compilation, if it even ever existed, I don't know. But the previous compilation was really well put together. The design work was really well put together. The website looked legitimate, you know, but in the meantime, what happened was, is that I was able to find out that not only was I scammed, but it was there was at least thirty other people that had been scammed in that very same compilation. So by the time you added up all those thirty plus people, and those are just the people that you know had actually reached out to each other, because again, there was a lot of people I think that were probably left off the thread. But at the end of the day, when you added up those thirty plus people, you know that that amounts to a significant amount of money. There was another time that we got approached by a well-known A and R guy from Def Jam Records, and you know, it, it made sense that this particular A&R guy would reach out to us. Well, it made sense in the, by the fact that it was an A&R guy that was known to find bands that resembled the music we were creating. So it wasn't, right. you know, it was a fit, let's put it that way. And it was funny because we, you know, we'd, we had numerous conversations on the phone. And then one day, the deal, so to speak, comes through. And the deal is about us paying a whole bunch of money. 
And that didn't make sense to me. So I actually ended up calling Def Jam and I, I found out that this, again, was a scam. So I didn't fall for that particular one. But at the end of the day, you know, here you go again, another scam. So you've got someone who's posing as a, you know, a music person putting a compilation together and that's, you know, got a whole bunch of artists that are, you know, hoping on a wish, you know, or dreaming to be getting the exposure that's going to give them the deal. Then you've got an A&R guy that's coming along and saying, hey, wouldn't you like to be signed to Def Jam? And then suddenly, you know, what, what that's was the reaction? What was Def, Def Jam's reaction when you told them about this? They, to be honest with you, it was, it was a little disappointing in some ways because, and this has actually been something that's reoccurring. And if people want to go read these comments on the Facebook page regarding this, this artist that reached out recently, you know, they'll see that the same, the same kind of feedback was given when he reached out to, to the record label. But basically they just said, yeah, no, that, that's a scam. Thank you for letting us know. And that oh, was okay. basically so they're not and, okay however you know i think this was in 2016 i had an artist that i was working with and i believe it was it was october it's october or november we got this email and it was an offer it was an offer to play a private show in toronto and as you you know i'm sure know this the thing about the music industry is it's it's a little bit secretive in regards to how much money people make yeah. It's not like you can go to some sort of price list and go, this is what this costs and this is what this costs. No, and here's all their available dates. So if you want to, you know, get Madonna to come and perform at your birthday party, it's not like you can just go somewhere and go, okay, yeah, I know she's available and oh, here's the price. Like that doesn't happen. And so, you know, it's one of these things where when you make an offer, it really requires that you have an understanding of what the right ballpark is. You don't mm -hmm. want to offer too little and you you don't want to offer too much. I mean, they'd be happy if you offer too much because, you know, people will accept it. But at the end of the day, you know, you really want to know what the ballpark is. And so we got this offer and it was right in the ballpark. So, you know, I was like, okay. And uh, it was a private party. It was for this guy's wife. And the name of the person who had made the offer was Michael Cooper. And so, you know, like I'm sure a lot of people, the first thing I did was Google this guy. And I thought, okay, I'm going to Google this guy and just you know, see, see who it is that's making this offer. And I find out that there's basically a couple millionaires and a billionaire, I think it was, in Toronto with that name. And, th and they were the only people that showed up. So I was like, okay, well, you know, this is someone who could afford this. And, you know, if the wife's a diehard fan, then I can, I can kind of see this. And, and, you know, from my perspective, it was almost like, you know, uh, end of the year bonus. You know, it was money that we weren't counting on and it was, it would be kind of fun. However, about a week or two prior, this particular artist had actually had some, some, some action on their bank accounts where someone had tried to hack in. So they're a little bit, you know, on alert. And so was I. And so, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do my due diligence. And so what, what happened was, is I negotiated. So I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's not quite enough. So here's what I'm proposing. And then I said, and then you've got to add to that, you know, flights, hotel rooms, here's the amount of people traveling, that whole thing. And we came to an agreement. And I thought it was a bit funny that, you know, he would deal with this. I mean, if, if you're successful and you're, you're, you, you tend to be busy, you tend to have someone that helps you to, to take care of these kind of things. But then again, yeah. I thought, you know what, you know, it's, it's his wife's birthday. And so anyhow, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, is that it, it, it was real enough to go along with it. So we come to a conclusion of what the, what the money is going to be. And it's left that we're going to get a 50% deposit and the remaining 50% two weeks prior to the event. So in the meantime, this this, you know, I'm doing my research still just to try and figure it out and understand what the venue's like, because it's, it's going to be a penthouse suite and penthouse apartment, I'm sorry. And so of course I'm trying to just, you know, get an idea of what this place looks like. So I go online 
And I check out thinking I might be able to find, you know, uh, something similar or even possibly find images if it had been sold previously, whatever. And I find out that this, this, this particular apartment is actually for sale. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that's, that's kind of strange. But again, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that, you know, this guy is holding a secret party. Maybe he and his wife are going to be driving home. He's going to say, hey, let's just stop at the apartment for a moment and then surprise. So again, it all sort of seems like it could make sense. Then the check arrives. And the check is for 100% of the, of, the, of the fee. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, at the end of the day, they were going to have to pay 100% prior to the event itself. But at the same time, you know, it's a little strange because this, this check is from Toronto, but the check itself is being sent from Toronto, but the check is from Alabama. And it actually has someone else's name on it. So this is very strange. Yeah. So we deposit the check and I, I, I decide I'm not going to tell this person that we've received it at all. I'm just going to wait till it clears. And when it clears, I'll just say, hey, thanks. It's gone through. Good times. And we'll, you know, we'll see you in, in, in Toronto. However, even the bank are unable to determine whether the funds are available and whether the check is real. And so while that's going on, I start to decide, you know, I decide I'm going to start to, to look into this further. So I end up trying to contact the person who's, who's the realtor for the, apart, for the apartment that's being sold just to go, hey, is this apartment belong to so-and-so? And of course, they can't tell you that. It's, it's private information. And I'm trying to tell them, like, look, if I just give you the guy's name, can you at least just say yes or no, that is the person? No, nope, they can't tell me. So then what I end up doing is I go, okay, well, you know, this, this has been mailed and it happens to be through UPS. And we happen to have a friendship with, with the president of, of UPS. And so, you know, with this, I'm able to find out that the account that has been used to send this check is with 6S Marketing, which is one of the largest marketing companies in, in Canada. So basically, 6S Marketing had a UPS account. And when they mailed this particular check to us, it was sent along with 12 other envelopes that were mailed out at the same time within the mm -hmm. same transaction. We were able to find out that it was, they were all mailed from a Dropbox in uh, downtown Toronto. And I was able to, to find out from the Success Marketing Company that it was actually not their account. It was a fake Success Marketing account that opened the UPS account. And I was able to find out all of the people that that particular, all those other 12, who they were, so that I could call them up and go, hey, you know, did you happen to get an offer to perform in Toronto? So the very first pe person that I call on the list is a record label in Nashville. And I say, this is going to sound really strange. However, have you recently been offered a show in Toronto? And they go, yeah, when is that show? And it's the exact same date that they've given us. And I'm like, oh, right. dear. And then it's like, okay. And, and who, Michael, and they, they, they tell me Cooper. And I'm like, yeah. So turns out that the record label had been made an offer to one of their artists and a completely different offer, also in the ballpark for their particular artist. And what they did is they received the check. And at this time, I'm also trying to figure out what the scam is. And I found out what the scam was. And it was that when the check arrived to them, it was also for 100%. They said, thanks for the check, but you sent us the full amount. So then the person responded saying, hmm, our lawyer must have sent you too much. Please refund 50%. Right. And of course, that's where they were going to make their money. Meanwhile, the record label had advanced the money to the artist. They had bought plane tickets. They had paid for hotel rooms. Oh, man. And so I'm looking at this going, okay, you know, this is obviously a scam at this point. So I started just contacting everybody else. And, and funnily enough, other people on that list 
were not even in the music business. There was one that was um, someone had been offered one of these things where, hey, you want to make it, you know, some money basically driving around in your car? Oh, yes, please. And it was a, it was a uh, water, a mineral water company out of Europe. And they're saying that, you know, for $800 a, a week for two months, you know, you need to just put some decals on your car and promote our company. And so the, the deal was is that they just had to pay for the decals. So that's how they were making their money. So I, um, you know, with this information, I thought, okay, I'm going to call all these places, let them know that this really is a scam. But at the same time, I'm thinking there's got to be a way to try and catch these people. Yeah. So what happened was, is we, we had another friendship, which was with, um, with someone working at the Secret Service who actually happened to be part of the, uh, the presidential, you know, oh my God. team. And so I let them know. So here's who it is. And at this point in time, I was able to give them all the different people that had received the packages, all of their names. I was able to say where the location was that it was dropped. I was able to give them all the different, you know, fake accounts, the success marketing account, you know, everything, the UPS number, the amounts of money that were being, you know, utilized. And so what happened was, is that they, they contacted the record label in Nashville and, Unfortunately, they weren't able to get their money back. And what they told me was, is that the way it works is, is, you know, when you're online and there's some sort of advertisement that says, want to make a few hundred extra dollars a day from your home without really doing anything. And what happens is, is that you respond saying, oh, yes, please. And what they ask you to do is they'll say, you need to open a bank account, you know, local to you. And then you put our name on the bank account. And then whenever money comes into that account, which we'll be, you know, wiring in, you will make a percentage. And that's how you're going to make these, you know, these hundreds of dollars a day. And so what it's called is a straw account. And so what happens is, is that the money comes into the account. And of course, there's a notification. Hey, you just got money. And in this case, you know, the criminals just take out the money. there's, There's no percentage there left. And, you know, it's criminal activity anyway. So I don't think you'd, you'd really want to be keeping anything because you're going to get some yeah. people knocking on your door pretty quickly. But the point is, is that these straw accounts are set up so that money comes in and then, you know, they just extract it. And so, you know, at the end of the day, what had happened was, is that, you know, here's this masterminded offer because they're always trying to figure something out. And in this case, they were approaching the music industry and they were trying to get it so that, you know, obviously with an artist, especially, you know, a mid-level artist that's making you know, a substantial amount of money, but again, isn't an A-level artist, you know, when you ask for 50% back from that check, it's going to result in, you know, quite a bit of money. The thing that was interesting was, is that when it comes to the Secret Service, they were able to tell them and say, well, look, you know, we don't really take action on things that go over a hundred, under a hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand, yeah, US dollars. If it's over the border, we're even less interested. And so, of course, this kind of scam is is being used, and it's it's you know you're you're dealing with ten thousand here and thirty thousand there, and you know ninety thousand. It's still not reaching a hundred thousand in one go. And then, of course, the reality of it is they're in West Africa, and so there's nothing you can do. And so, you know, I guess the point I'm saying with these little stories is that you know whether it's an artist pretending to have a fan base, whether it's a scam artist pretending to be a record label or pretending to be an A&R guy or pretending, you know, whatever they're pretending to be. The, the reality is that, you know, it's riddled with scams out there. It's not, and I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that anybody is starting their business with the idea of scamming people, but I think that there's a very 
you know, there's a very harsh reality, especially within the music industry that is so driven on dreams. It's amazing to me. I mean, people, you know, don't really feel like working hard is the way to find success in music. It's more luck. And unfortunately, you know, when all you work with is luck, if someone comes along and says, look, and this guy on my Facebook page, in his case, pay us $13,000, which by the way, again, it wasn't 13,000 to begin, it was 1,800. You know, pay us $13,000 and we'll give you a record deal. It's kind of within reach. It's like, okay, well that sucks, but I think I can make that happen. And then, you know, there's another unfortunate person, 13,000, you know, out of pocket. Maybe all these stories about uh, like overnight success and just uh, being signed, being discovered by a record label uh, randomly, uh, they kind of feed up this kind of thinking. Um, Well, I think the thing to keep in mind, whether it's, you know, Threaten or someone out there pursuing a, a record deal is, I mean, it's business. At the end of the day, if if you're not cre- generating money, if you're not creating, you know, a fan base, if you're not doing things that are real, there's going to be no interest from anybody. I mean, you know, if a record deal, it doesn't matter if you're in the music industry or if you're in the book publishing world, you know, at the end of the day, you know, these companies are going to look at you and go, can I make money? Is there a success story in the making? And the key to what I just said is in the making. Yeah. In other words, you, know, you need to be out there proving yourself, you know, things need to be happening organically for yourself or for anybody to recognize that with some extra help, it can go to the next level. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you know, can you manage me? Or, hey, I want to go on tour. And it's like, well, you know, if you're wanting a manager, the fact is there has to be something to manage. You know, managers are making percentages. If there's nothing to take a percentage from, you know, if you don't have so much work coming through that, you, you know, you need someone else to help you with it, It's just not there. And so if someone comes along and says, yeah, I'll be your manager, pay me $13,000, then, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that the only guarantee is that they're going to make money and you're not. So, you know, it's, again, there's, there's a reality that I think people have to do these, you know, reality checks and, and realize that, yes, there are some lucky breaks. You may, you know, post a song to SoundCloud or put it up online and overnight get 30,000 listens and, you know, be the next Post Malone or whatever, you know, or, you know, you might, you might get lucky and and someone like David Foster is at the wedding that you're performing at. And now Michael Buble is known by the world. I mean, things do happen. But like you said earlier, you know, you need to be ready when the opportunity comes and you certainly can't have your plan be based off of if you get lucky. Yeah, 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 totally. I just want to say that your story was quite crazy and uh, really interesting. Uh, you're going to well, film a movie around that. Uh, and second, thank you for sharing that. Some of the these elements of the scam that you described, I came across from some of our artists. We didn't have any uh, like uh, stories of that scale, but uh, like fake che- checks and um, a bunch of things that you mentioned. I came, I have come across and uh, I didn't even know how exactly it worked until you just described it to me. I think it's very important for our listeners, musicians, artists, and all the people in the industry working with uh, with bands and different music acts to understand how it works. What's crazy, and this is maybe what's, uh, why it works uh, so frequently, I'm pretty sure that there is a lot of scammers who are successful, unfortunately that these people do have an understanding of how 
the music business works and this is not what you expect when you get a random uh just spam email for example which is very generic here you uh Mm -hmm. you are dealing with someone who apparently understands how much uh, this particular band may cost or how exactly in aina communicates with an artist how record labels operate Mm -hmm. i'm even wondering if these are just some ex-employees employees of major labels doing that sometimes they are in fact the guy from def jam believe it or not was an intern at def jam so they actually were able to find out who it was i know you asked me what did they say and they did say thank you but you know now i remember actually that i'd i'd been able to find an an image somehow i can't remember of this person i'd sent it over oh i know what it was years later i actually had had a uh, a deal going with with def jam records with an artist and yeah. because we then had actually established a friendship and there was you know ongoing communication i was able to bring this thing up from the past and then sure enough it turns out that person was an intern now you know when it comes to these scams you know i've understood that you know there's people especially in west africa that literally go to work they show up in the morning they go with a bunch of other people to the office and basically they work at scamming people all day long. The thing is, is that I, and I think the reason that this scam didn't actually work on, on me in particular was, of course, I'd, I had some red flags going already. And so that, you know, that was sort of putting me on edge, which is why I didn't tell them, hey, I got your check. I was waiting for it to clear. And the thing is, is that, you know, when you do get these scams and it says the prince of so-and-so has recently died and they need to, you know, to, to give the money to you. The whole idea is, is that a smart person, someone with you know enough intelligence is going to recognize that there isn't some prince or widow of somebody who's just died and who's randomly connected with you to give you you know nine million dollars or whatever it might be. But the purpose of that is is that if you do fall for that, if you are someone who gets back going, well, yeah, I would love those millions of dollars given to me, then you're the perfect person for the the scam because if you could fall for that you'll fall for the very last step which is when you hand over your money yeah however if you're too smart on the front end in which someone says oh you know here you know if you, if you do something that comes across as too real this intelligent person may play along but the moment they say okay now you got to pay me then you go wait a second this is a scam so they're wasting their time so it's it's I guess what I'm saying with this, this is, is it's yeah. an entire world yeah. of people that dedicate their lives to scamming other people and again you know I don't want to suggest that Threaten was scamming people. I mean, I don't think there was any, you know, maliciousness. I think it was one of those rock star dreams of going on tour. I mean, let's be honest. Anyone who's played in a band, anybody that makes music would probably, you know, do anything to get on a large stage. And as it is, and I know, you know, there's probably lots of people you can think of. There's lots of artists that have gone to legitimate events that they've had to pay to do because at the end of the day, the amount they got paid to perform was less than it cost them to go there. But they just wanted the experience and they wanted to turn that possibly into more leveraging power by saying, oh, I performed at such and such a place. Aaron, I think we actually talked, you talked about two very important things here, how not to scam and how not to get scammed. So the the two aspects of uh, the two two sides of the coin, we've covered a bunch of different uh, areas uh, that are related to uh, faking whatever in the music world i think it's really important here is there any one or several recommendations as kind of conclusions to what we've covered because this is a big topic and there is more to it for sure uh, but with the kind of stories uh, the kind of experience you've got and uh, the 
well, what we see happening in the music business world these days. What would you recommend to an aspiring musician out there? Well, I think that the main thing for me is is that you know when you when you're building a music career, you do have to look at it as a business, and you do have to have you know some sort of separation from yourself and the product. I mean, you've got to have just you know the same the same way someone would look at their business and make decisions based off of if a product is selling. Or, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're opening a store, if there's enough light on the product or if, you know, if I don't know, if the paint color on the wall goes with whatever you're you know, showcasing. I mean, you know, you've got to think about it as a business and you've got to recognize that, you know, as a business, you've got to scale it. You know, it, it's very difficult. I mean, if, if you read, for example, uh, I think it's called Shoe Dog by the, uh, the founder of Nike, you know, it, it's really interesting to see that at one point in time, Nike had all kinds of orders for their shoes. And the problem was keeping up with the orders. And so, you know, when you start a business, you have to grow, you have to, you have to grow and then scale it. And it, there's no massive leaps that just happen without any, you know, warning. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're starting to tour in your local region, if you're starting to, you know, build out from there, you know, if you're playing to the same audience and then you come back and there's more people in the audience and you're keeping coming back on a basis that, you know, people don't forget about you. And then after a certain amount of time in which you're actually, you know, finding a little bit of success, you can, you know, your tours are, are, you're coming back, you know, in the black instead of in the red. And then you get someone say, hey, this is so-and-so from such and such a record label, you know, we'd like to come out and see your show and then meet with you. That's awesome. You know, like that could be something that's real. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that too many people are going into this thinking that they're just going to play music and they're just going to find some sort of lucky, you know, opportunity that that appears out of nowhere. And, and so I think that, you know, my recommendation to people is don't really look at what everybody else is doing. You know, look at what is most authentic to you. And to go back to those Facebook ads you know, when you recognize who your target audience is, because of not necessarily just the single that you've released or just the album you've recorded, but maybe, you know, other things that tie into who you are and what you represent and the brand that you're creating, then, you know, you don't turn around and target Facebook ads to, you know, in Threaden's case, people that just simply love heavy metal. You know, you have to find and define, you know, your, your, your super fan profile, the avatar that really, you know, makes it clear who you're targeting and then pursue that. And, and so what I'm saying is, is that, you know, understand what sets you apart, what's your unique difference, what it is that makes you who you are and start pursuing that so that everything you do is authentic. Everything is again. I mean, I, I, I sometimes sort of like to tell myself if I die tomorrow, is the decision I'm making today going to be different? And I think when you do that, you know, you start to to make decisions that focus on, you know, ensuring that everything you're doing is authentic to you. You're not trying to do something you think is supposed to be done, but rather you're doing the things that are real and then finding opportunities that make sense. And ideally, those opportunities are places that other people aren't really going to. So, you know, again, I, I think it's, it's a reality check. Read books, listen to... Uh, you know, podcasts like yours, you know, pay attention to what's out there and then assess yourself and go, okay, am I at that point? I mean, if you look at a, a, you know, an amazing performance on a late night show or at a big festival, are you there? Is that what you're doing? I mean, are you, are your performances that good? 
are you ready for that? And do you have an image that is comparable to other people that are being successful or are you still working on your image? I mean, it's those kind of reality checks and then making little steps, but always taking steps forward, not giant leaps, but little steps. And I think that, you know, again, it's exciting to think that there's your lucky opportunity around the corner and it may well be that there is that thing coming along, but you can't put your energy into that. You have to focus on what's real and assess, you know, what's going on in your business. Brilliant advice. Actually, not an advice, a bunch of advices here. Thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate all the recommendations you've given here and uh, the, the kind of insights you're sharing. Really inspirational as well, I have to say. This is cool. A lot of what you said, I resonate with, with the message as well. Well, I have to say too that let, let's just say someone came to you with a real offer, a real lucky break, and you were to assume it was a scam and you'd go, Nah, no thanks. Not interested. People love to have what they can't get. So at the end of the day, even if you were to sort of turn away what could potentially be a real opportunity, it's actually just going to come back tenfold. Because again, people don't want people that are desperate. And you can apply that to the you know yeah. relationships world, you know, whatever it might be. It's just don't yeah. ever jump to the first thing, you know, like really assess it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is a great one. So uh, I, I suggest you uh, wrap it up uh, on, on this note. Uh, there is a lot uh, to take in. I would recommend re-listening to this episode sometime in the future because there is a lot of interesting thoughts around the Fred and Case and around the other stories, uh, uh, scams, music industry stories that you mentioned and all the related things that we talked about because uh, you shared a lot of great uh, tips on building a brand and authentic following which is the key of and this is why we're, we have been talking about this it's not just about the fake stuff but how to make it real thank you so much Aaron I, I really appreciate the thank you Andrew insights you've shared here and we are recording another episode sometime in the future when you have some news you can you know share with uh, us publicly I hope so This was awesome in my humble opinion. I really hope that you enjoyed these stories from Aaron and uh, just took some actionable advice uh, from our conversation. If you have any questions, feedback, once again, uh, it will be greatly appreciated if you just uh, go online on social media, find us um, on social media profiles. I'm linking to, to the... Uh, websites and some social media accounts of Aaron in the show notes and there are also uh, links to the articles uh, we've been talking about and uh, this Facebook post Aaron mentioned as well Um, uh, so yeah please uh, do let us know on Aaron's profiles if possible but uh, it will be massively appreciated if you uh, go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you prefer. Apple Podcasts by default is the best place for that. It really means a lot because the more reviews and good ratings we have, uh, the more musicians in the industry professionals um, may uh, discover our podcast. It's it's just like a random note. Uh, when I started this podcast a few years ago, it was just, you know, a healthy space for podcasts. And um, 
it was in a niche i never expected it to grow bigger but now something interesting kind of crazy is happening and uh, podcasts are becoming more and more popular there are just some really big investments happening like spotify and um and apple and uh, big uh, tech companies buying uh, uh podcast related um startups and uh, there is a lot of development in that area and more and more people listen to podcasts of course so i hope that uh we are getting some uh new listeners fans to uh to these uh reviews you're leaving uh so thank you a lot remember that we're also on patreon i'm on patreon this is the way to support the show and i've got some exclusive content there for my patrons it's just one dollar month for now i may uh, introduce some new tiers as i mentioned in the previous episode uh but yeah that's that's about it uh, let us know what you thought about uh this conversation with aaron and uh thank you till the next one you've been listening to music growth talks with andrew apanov Find more episodes and subscribe at musicgrowthtalks.com.